Okay, hello everybody and welcome to another SAM.gov live where we review SAM.gov bid solicitations live. Uh, today I do have four or five pulled up. I will give you a sneak peek in just a minute of those solicitations. We are going to be doing a, uh, a walkthrough and a bid review on today. Um, this is live. So as you have questions, feel free to go ahead and just put those in the chat. And if you've been on these before, you know, I'll take opportunities in between bid reviews to interact with you guys that do have questions um, in the chat since this is live. Uh, it is a very rainy day down here in southern Alabama where I am uh, set up and uh, hope things are going well for you. Hopefully you're having better weather than we are down here. Um, just signage, drainage, all the good stuff associated with nonstop rain. Um, we're so close to, to Alabama uh, or, or to Florida rather, the, the weather that we get is very Florida-like in the summer where it rains pretty much every day. I'm learning after living here for about two years. I'm starting to, to get on the track here. And before we get started as well, uh, those of you who are looking for uh, additional support, if you like what we're doing with the Sam.gov bids lives that we're doing, or just the pre-recorded versions that I have on the YouTube channel as well, just know if you are looking for additional support, govkidmethod.com. We have um, two things basically that I've created that I offer you. Our bidding bundle is number one. And number two is our full-blown coaching program. So uh, feel free. I won't, won't go to the details just yet into what those are, but you can learn more over at govkidmethod.com. If you like what we do here, but you're wanting more support, either working with me directly, or you just want to get access to some more resources, maybe proposal templates, things like that, that can help you um, lean more into the stuff that we cover. So really quickly, let's go ahead and take a look at... Uh, the four or five opportunities. Yeah, it looks like I have five. We'll see how much time we have today. So the first one is this compliance data warehouse data management support services. So this looks like an IT type of bid. Number two, we have facility management escort support. So it really seems like it's going to be more on the escort support. I thought that was interesting. Number three, mechanical brush slash tree removal. Number four, database developer going to be another IT support. And then um, number five, if we can get to it, purchase and install of some uh, IP multi-sensor cameras. So I try to always pull up a variety. Today looks like we're a bit more IT heavy and that's okay with me because we don't always get a lot of IT opportunities to take a look at. So we'll go ahead and dive into this first one with the Compliance Data Warehouse Data Management Support Services. So this particular bid is due, as you can see, August 24th. This happens to be, in fact, eight-day set aside. And just so you know, I do not look at these. I do not review these at all beforehand. So as I'm going through it with you, it's literally my first time seeing any of these details, any of the attachments, any of the statements of work. So I kind of do these off the cuff on purpose because sometimes that way we can get into things uh, that maybe potential challenges for you, like they would be for me coming into it the first time rather than like solving it or showing you an edited video. This way we can kind of work through it together and you can see what that process looks like. Um, I just rather involve you in the whole mess of it instead of just the, the finalized perfect product that way you can actually learn. That's the goal. So they are telling us this is RFQ to procure uh, data management support. Let's see here. It says a research environment containing administrative records and other data under the GSA multiple awards. So 
interesting here that they're saying that this is GSA schedule, but they are posting this as an RFQ on Sam. So in cases where you see this, they, they may be procuring it in both locations. I'm going to be interested as we look into the solicitation here to see if it talks more about this, this GSA mass contract. because they're pretty much inviting offers from Sam. It says this amendment extends the due dates for quotes, provides responses to vendor questions and the PWS. So for now, we'll just continue. And I'm gonna dive into the solicitation here. And see what we have. And again, they are driving home this GSA IT schedule. Base year, option year one, two, option year three, four. So this is a true base plus plus four. And the base year is going to include ramp up uh, with knowledge transfer, data modeling. A lot of the you know ramp up things that you would think of if you're in the IT space. And then after that, it's going to be ongoing modeling and data quality, uh, data maturity, admin documentation reporting and then additional development work and that's going to be year on year throughout all the option years so just kind of a high level scope that we were able to see even just from the uh from the pricing claims because we didn't even get into the statement of work yet but it helps to paint a picture again they're quoting this and this is what i'm looking for the federal supply schedule uh, they're saying it's going to be a task order so it's interesting to me that they've even bothered to put this on Sam. I know it's potentially contracting his way of marketing. And unless I see otherwise, I would have to ask a contract contracting a question just to ensure um, Leona Brown, I would want to know, are you only accepting offers from GSA schedule holders for this? Or are you also soliciting bids from Sam? because you posted this on Sam, right? But it is becoming more obvious as I've I've found multiple of these things. It seems like they're going all in on the GSA schedule, which would preclude everybody that doesn't have the GSA schedule, which means it would be a no bid. It would just be a waste of time for you. But we're, we're learning here and that's why I'll continue going through it. Again, we already know that the set aside for this is 8A. Let's see. They are talking about limitations on subcontracting for the 8A program, which means the 8A has to perform a minimum, minimum percentage of the work on service contracts. That would be 50%. The only way that you could exceed that is if you were working with what's called a similarly situated entity, which means you share the same set aside and you're also they would also be small business. So arguably, if you wanted to work with a company, subcontract or team um, and have them do more than 50% of the work, then they would also have to be 8A and then also by derivative small business, which you have to be small business to get in the 8A to begin with. So you have to be 8A as a subcontractor um, in that way, or you would have to give it to an 8A who is your subcontractor uh, if you're wanting them to do more than 50% of the work. Otherwise you would be basically violating the limitations of subcontracting as they are putting here. So it's kind of giving you the layman's terms breakdown of how limitations on subcontracting will work. But also keep in mind that only applies to contracts that are over and above the simplified acquisition threshold of 250,000.
if it's under that, you can do whatever you want. You could give it to Boeing. They don't care. It's too small to be significant. Okay, so I'm going to really pick up the pace here. Want to really get down to the learning milestones, which are typically statement of work, instruction to offerers, evaluation factors. This is where we like to spend our time. So to be honest with you, this stuff is usually found towards the end. So since this is 108 pages, I am going to do a faster scroll than usual. And then as you can see, we're hit with evaluation factors as I back up. And I'm hoping to back my way up. Looks like we have some interesting stuff here. We'll take a look at that. Back my way up to the instruction offers, which is here. So literally the last seven pages of the 108 page document is what I'm looking for right now. I'm not saying to ignore the other pages, not at all. It's just, this is where a lot of the proposal specific stuff is and how the winning bidder is going to be chosen and all these good things that you want to know when you're first looking at a bid to help you determine and, and perform a bid, no bid. You can't perform that fully if you don't know some of these details of what's really going to be required of you to even stand a chance at winning this. So this is what I try to teach you and demonstrate to you through practice so this can be a skill that you do over and over and over again. You can get really good at this, save yourself a bunch of time so that that time you're saving, you can invest into the bids that are a really good fit for you. And then you start playing the numbers game and start getting some numbers on the board. And then, then you can win. Okay. So let's see. The government intends to issue firm fixed price against the GSA mass for 54151S. Okay, really seeming that way. I don't know why they have it in SAM other than their selfish marketing purposes to draw GSA schedule holders back from SAM to GSA, which pretty much screws everybody else over. But, you know, that's okay. We we have a thick skin. We already know this is an 8A set aside, so most would be precluded from this anyways. And for pricing, since, since it is through GSA mass, uh, they're talking about their... GSA mass pre-submitted pricing. We are breaking this down into volumes. They're asking you for volume one, volume two. Volume one will consist of your technical quote. Basically, how can you perform what's asked in the PWS? Number two, management approach. Number three, your sanitized price quote. So that's all actually in volume one, okay? Technical management pricing. Volume two would be your price quote, okay? Versus your sanitized price quote. We would have to look, I would want to know their definition of sanitized versus just your general price quote. I could weigh into that, talking about pricing breakdowns, things of that nature that could be built into sanitized. But I would want to know really what they mean by it. Uh, next, fully executed copy of the RFQ. So um, signing SF1449 forms, reps and certs, pricing cleanse, completing all that stuff. And then a copy of your GSA mass pricing schedule, right? So at this point, we're really confirmed. Um, I, will, I will rescind saying what I said earlier as we've gained additional information that... Uh, I, I would no longer submit the question 
to contracting saying, hey, can we bid on this even if we're not GSA because you're putting it on SAM? No, I would not do that in this case in the instruction offers. They made it abundantly clear that this is GSA mass. So save your breath and don't make yourself look silly by asking that question any longer. Um, instead, just ask yourself, well, why are they even putting it on SAM? And I'm just going to tell you, it's just contracting's way of marketing the requirement to get maximum competition, which is what they're supposed to do. But, you know, there is GSA eBuy. That's, that's their place where they're supposed to market this stuff. So, you know, I could go into things about that, but I won't because I don't think anybody wants to, to hear about my rant on that. So we'll just assume that this is all in GSA schedule. If you don't have that schedule uh, and you're not 8A, then you wouldn't even waste your time going after this or looking at this. So I'll just spend one to two more minutes on this and then uh, it will be my intent to bounce and move on to the next one. They are breaking down. Just so you know, guys, hey, technical quote. Well, what the heck is that? Then they go on to break down. Volume one, technical information. What do they want? They're giving you, you know, paragraph for each, it looks like. Then the management approach. And here's the sanitized, which I'm kind of curious, like I said. So it says sanitized price quotes shall consist of a complete proposed labor mix for the requirement that includes the breakdown. So this is, remember I said the, the key word, the buzzword breakdown. I had a feeling that's what they were comparing the sanitized versus the normal price quote since they want both and they want them in different volumes because different evaluators are going to be looking at different things basically in isolation and that's why they're they're doing that so includes breakdown of the labor mix for each line item by labor category and the proposed hours so if you ever see that little nugget for you that's kind of what uh, sanitized means but don't take my word for it Always ask them, what, what do you mean by sanitize? What is your definition? So that I can give you exactly what you want and I'm not guessing. Volume two. I'm actually most interested in these tables. So it says, for example, if the offer submitted the following pricing, then the supporting documentation like this shall be presented. So this is actually pretty nice. These are just sample pricing tables. So saying this is what we would want for your pricing. And then maybe this is, you know, for that sanitized or for that. I don't know if this is the breakdown because the breakdown should actually be more than this, but they're saying supporting documentation shall be presented as followed like this. So that is the purpose for these tables. That is what they're trying to communicate to you with that. Then they're relying on your GSA mass pricing. And then lastly, the evaluation, which I wanted to get to, it's going to be technical management and price. And my guess is, my guess is that this would be best value. Yeah, so it says the mass contract and represents the best value to the government. So this would not be a lowest price bid. This would be best value. So you should go into this thing. Again, this is just practice. Whatever your thing is that you're working on, you should go into it knowing whether it's best value or lowest price so that you can have your pricing strategy to be appropriate to what's gonna give you the best chance at winning. And that takes us pretty much to the end of the document. Even though we skipped about 95 pages, uh, we got to really what mattered for this one. And now uh, we'll check in with the chat, see what is going on today. All right, tangent. Hey, awesome. Yeah, you caught the live. Yes, you definitely caught it. 
Um, your masterclass is partially what keeps me motivated to continue. Hey, I, I really appreciate that. Um, the masterclass is intended to help answer a lot of the initial barriers to entry and, and give you kind of clear paths to overcome things like, you know, not having necessarily past performance or not necessarily going what to go after or what are some next steps that you can do after you're registered in SAM. So I'm glad to hear that that helps. Um, how can I do a private class with you? So all of the, the closest thing that I offer to what you're asking is, is our coaching program. And we actually meet two times a week and um, we do that through, through Zoom. And we do, uh, you know, like for example, these bid reviews I'm doing right now that are samples, we go into a lot more detail. And I also look at your proposals and your responses that you're putting together before you send those off. And, and give you um, also kind of a unique training program to parallel that as well. Um, you can find information on the coaching if you're looking for something like that uh, to really get more hands-on um, and have me look at the stuff you're working on. Uh, just go to my website, govkidmethod.com. That is what I am currently, uh, that's the show I'm currently playing under. Uh, Chris says, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. What is a red flag for you right off the bat? So yeah, red flags, um, Chris, when we talk about red flags or any flags, um, we start talking about our bid, no bid systems. So we call this, you know, our qualifying system. So the clients that I work with and, you know, even in the masterclass that I was talking about, we have four systems to do this thing from start to finish. Okay. So we have a prospecting system, a qualifying system, a bidding system, and then a winning system. So this would be system two, your qualifying system, bid, no bid, right? So your, your prospecting system first that you set up it's basically like a conveyor belt, bringing you raw material, bids from Sam that are a close match for your business. So now once you have this, the bids are going to start stacking up and you're like, oh God, Derek, like there's there's so many or there's some, what do I do with them next? Well, you need to put them in two different piles. You need to shortlist the good ones and you need to X the bad ones. And the bad ones you want to X basically as quickly as possible, like I said earlier, so that you can reinvest the time in the good ones because as we all know, time is money. So that's really what your bidding system looks like. We do use a tool called Speed Reader that's made up of a good amount of questions, but some initial things just to keep going. Um, and again, I do give you kind of like a short list in the master class that's totally free, but uh, geographic location. If that is a thing that's of concern to you, because I know that is for some, um, you kind of want to look for that right away. Uh, due date of the proposal, okay? Hugely important. Do you even have enough time to put together a compliant response? So we look at that right away set aside like the last example we just did that was 8a you can find that out in the first one second of looking at the sam.gov listing page and we try to look for reasons to throw the bid out you know if you can make it through that dig in a little bit more into the statement of work is this work that you can do and that you want to do and then if you still have good answers through all of that then look at the instruction to offers and the evaluation factors basically what's required in the bid and how will the winning bidder be chosen, go through that information and, and ask yourself, do you really want to put this together? Do you really think you have a chance at winning? If you can do all that high level and, and say, you know, maybe 15 to 30 minutes is what I like people to get ramped up to eventually. It may take you an hour at first to find the things and read it, you know, especially if you have like a hundred page solicitation. If you can get through all of that and you have kind of yeses, then you can shortlist that one and put it in the good pile to then further, you know, basically move on to your system three, which is your bidding system. 
and go through and do a, a more full deep dive and reading of the solicitation. And at that point, you're actually reading for the sake of building an outline. You're reading for developing your response because you've already determined it's something you want to start to invest time into. Okay, so high level, um, those are some questions off the cuff. I know you said red flags. Um, I guess these are kind of like the opposite of red flags, I guess, because anything that any of these that don't pass, it's going to be automatic no go. So it's like, I'm not looking for red flags. I'm looking for good flags because I'm going to assume it's bad. You know, basically I'm assuming it's guilty until proven innocent, not the other way around when it comes to bids because I don't want to waste time. So any reason I can to throw this out, I'm, I'm going to. Um, and then if, you know, the week goes by and I've got nothing good to work on, then maybe I'll go through my scrap pile and be like, okay, well, this is the best that we had. Maybe there's not a lot of bids this month or something like that. But I, I really proceed and I teach uh, basically being um, the bids are guilty until proven innocent. This way it, it more quickly gets you to the good ones. Hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. I don't always get to talk about that. So I decided to take a few extra minutes to explain that. So how do you ask questions to the government from Shadow? So Shadow 4, uh, it's called a RFI, Request for Information. You just find contracting's POC on the SAM.gov listing page. You pull up an email. In the subject line, you want to cite the solicitation number and maybe also the title and maybe put RFI, something like that. And then in the body of the email, you know, address sir or ma'am, uh, also restate the solicitation number and then state your question succinctly. And if at all possible, be as detailed as you can and cite page numbers so that, um, you know, that you're referencing your question from. It says on page such and such, what did you mean by that? So, you know, determining on the, uh, based on the context of your question, uh, that's going to determine how specific you can be with citing, but you want to cite and be as specific as possible. It's going to help contracting help you as much as they, they can. So, um, so you do that and then you click send. So that's how you ask a question to the government. Can a first time contractor win government contracts? Absolutely. Um, it's happening every day, every week, every month, people are winning their first bids. Uh, definitely. Should we be worried about the terms on the document? How do we interpret them? Um, yeah, you, you really need to go through some sort of fundamental training. Uh, Shadow, you need to go through some fundamental training because um, all these questions that you're having, they're kind of answered through reading the solicitation. You need to learn how to read the solicitation. And then a lot of these questions will go away. And that's what we do on these lives. Like, as you can see, I spent 10 minutes on the last bid to really go through and, and read to make some high level decisions. You need to develop your skill level at, at reading. Um, yes, you should be worried about terms of every contract. It's going to come through time though. It's not something that you're going to get overnight. There's no like one answer somebody can give you to make that go away. That will improve through practice. Um, tangent says is being a middleman is complicated as being a prime. You have to define what you mean by complicated. Because if you know what you're doing, nothing's complicated, right? Like tying your shoes are not complicated for you, but for a child, it's super complicated because there's the cross, then the loop, and then the tie. So there's like three steps. So I wouldn't say that uh, it's complicated. You're saying, I'm trying to stay as being a middleman. The thing you have to know about middlemanning is, and again, this is in the master class, because a, a lot of you want to do middlemanning. 
there's a legal way to do it. There's an illegal way to do it. And I, I explain that in a lot of detail. I give you those quote unquote contract terms, which are really the FAR clauses. Um, I cite those, I give you the link so you can look those up and read those yourself. Um, again, it's just a free training on the website. And because I, I, most of you have that same question over and over and over again. So I already know the questions that you have. Middlemanning isn't complicated. You just have to know how to avoid uh, illegal pass-through schemes. You know, so if you can do that, and that was what the limitations of subcontracting that I'm not going to repeat, but we talked about earlier today on today's live, um, that is what I'm responding to when I say that. All these contract opportunities look interesting indeed. I see a lot of uh, landscaping, paving and parking lots, even social media. Can I do anything and everything or should I focus on one thing? So that's a great question, Chris. And uh, last thing here, then we'll get back into some more bids. Just as a heads up, the next bid, guys, we're going to look at is going to be, oh, great. Um, looks like I was logged out, so I'll re-log in, but I can kind of see through the background here. I remember it was for facilities management escort support. So that's the next one we're going to look at. And then after that, we have a mechanical brush, tree removal. Then we have some more IT database developers. And if we have time, purchase and install of IP multi-sensor cameras. I'll answer this last question. I'll re-log in and then we'll dive back into that next one. But um, so yeah, back to Chris's question. Uh, so here's the thing, Chris. I, I kind of created this term called an, an umbrella strategy. Far too often, everybody races, they get registered in SAM, they do their CAPE statement, they do their website. They have not created any proof of concept or identified a viable business model. So what happens is, what do I what do I bid on? What do I go after? Um, those who have existing businesses in the commercial space, B2B, B2C, they don't struggle as much because their plan is to just, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing for the last 5, 10, 15 years, but I'm going to do it with a new customer called the U.S. federal government, right? But those who have new federal contracting businesses, they don't have that to lean back on. So they're more of like asking this question, what should I go after? What's good to go after? Or in this case, you know, how specific or broad should I be? I'll make the comparison that in the commercial space, those successful businesses, again, in the commercial space, not the government space, what's taught and what's seen to be successful is getting really good at your one thing. That's how you differentiate yourself. That becomes your competitive advantage. That's what they teach you in business school. And that's how you kind of like create a blue ocean and stand out from other businesses in your space. So you get really good at one thing and you just play that string for as long as you can. What happens when you bring that approach to federal contracting or more specifically SAM bids, it doesn't work because it's, it's way too niche. So I hear people saying, I want to do notary services or I want to do photography um, or there's, there's so many others. These are very niche, very specific, or I only want to do one specific type of staffing or, you know, again, there's, there's so many things that I've seen over the years. Usually there is not enough of those very specific, very niche things that may be working for you or would work for you in the commercial space. There's not enough of that to keep you busy year round in terms of, of bidding and having a real viable business model. So instead we open up what I call an umbrella and so we still keep that because, you know, this is, you know, our wheelhouse is what we're capable of doing, but then we add to it adjacent and other complementary services. So it's like, well, you know, this would be hundred percent, 
This one might be a little bit of stretch. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I could still do it. And then this thing over here is like way uncomfortable. I don't even want to touch it. And that's where you know where to draw that line in the sand. But you can't be so, it's, it's all about balance, right? With federal contracting, you can't be so extreme to be one outlier or the other. You want to be somewhere in the middle. And the only way you really know what that is for you is you have to, I say, you have to spend an uncomfortable amount of time at Sam at the beginning to do a lot of searches, in some cases, a lot of manual searches, just seeing what are they buying? This is called getting to know your customer. And then if you can prove to yourself, like, well, I'm seeing this type of work again and again and again, maybe I should plant my flag here versus before you even spend that time in Sam and invest in getting to learn your customer versus saying, you know, I got the perfect business plan, websites done, capability statements done. I found some good NAICS codes, maybe some PSC codes. This is what I'm going to go after. And then you bring that to Sam and then you get let down and you're saying, what's the problem? I'm not finding a lot of bids that are a match. There's not enough. What am I doing wrong? Um, maybe I go invest money. Maybe I even have you know, Derek help me or I buy a software. Oh, wait, that's still not working. Even Derek can't help me because, yeah, I don't have the magic wand to wave to put contracts on Sam. I can't put them on there. I can just help you with what is on there. And I'm telling you to study that first so you can prove to yourself what's on there. I mean, you got to be the business owner uh, anyways. You you need to know. So this is a, it's a great question and it's a great soapbox opportunity because so many struggle with this. Last thing I'll say is in terms of what you want to go after, you, you can go after anything that you want. There's no like rule or thing that exists or prohibits you. You add the next code in your SAM registration. And then all of a sudden you are, according to registration purposes, able to do that, capable of doing that. Of course, you don't want to do that for things that you can't do, but for the paperwork process and the nuts and bolts, it's just as simple as adding the NAICS codes to your SAM profile. But you just don't want to have so many things that are over here and over there and over there because it gives you kind of a, a jack of all trades, master of none impression. Again, that's why I recommend an umbrella strategy where you have your core but then you also wrap an umbrella around it with adjacent and complementary services. So it still makes sense. So you can still put a label and say professional services or, or grounds maintenance services or base ops or facility support services or whatever you want to do. Cause that can mean like 10 different things and could give you like a dozen different NAICS codes of bids to go after all with a neat little bow on it that gives you bids throughout the year to go after that the government is buying again and again and again. That's how I'm seeing the successful succeed. It's not by sticking to one thing. And it's also not by going after everything. It's that fine balance in the middle. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, we'll do one more. Then we'll keep the show on track. I'm a little bit behind time, but um, I'm happy to answer these questions as much as I can for you guys. So we'll do War Dog, and then I'm going to go to the next one just for the interest of time. Uh, so do you lock up contracts and then sub out the work and just manage it, or do you just do counseling? Just tuned in. I'm sorry if you already answered this one already. Yes, yeah, so it's kind of like do you lock up contracts? I think you mean like secure the contract, get awarded the contract, 
and then sub out the work and just manage it. So yeah, again, Wardog. Um, yeah, yeah. If you if you want to rewind, um, you know, uh, this will be available on replay. Uh, this is kind of the middlemaning technique, and we did talk about this a couple of different times, so I, I won't dive into it again. But um, there is a way to work with subcontractors. There's just kind of a few things that you need to uh, look out for. Limitations on subcontracting, avoid illegal pass-through schemes, um, and also make sure you know, you're know you aware of if it's above or below simplified acquisition. Um, just some keywords for you to, to write down that are important for your question. And um, you can do some more research on those. Also, uh, if you, since you just tuned in, the master class on my website is totally free. goes into a lot of how to do this. So um, you're in good hands, man. Um, uh, man or woman, actually. I'm not sure. I can't make any assumptions here. But uh, good question. And you have answers in the free training and also answered earlier on. So let's go ahead and uh, bounce back. Actually, now is the time for me to re uh where's my phone re-log in to sam since i definitely got booted out so let me do my two-step authentication and then we'll move on to the next bid if you guys are liking this uh smash that like button um i would appreciate it okay and then if you're new here also consider subscribing so that you get notified when we go live so that you so that you don't miss it All right, should be good here. Yep, so the next one's gonna be that facility management uh, escort support. I think we're all good now. So this next one is gonna be for Air Force, August 24th again. Small business set aside, not 8A in this case, the NAICS code is 561210. So they're calling this facility support services um, back to Chris's point, that's why that was one of the kind of the labels that I said to you, because there are a number of things and codes that fall underneath that particular umbrella, if it's something that actually pertains to you. In terms of attachments, we have our questions, we have mission, essential, contractor services, we'll have to see what that is. We have DD-254 form, um, provisions and clauses, looks like an amendment, pricing worksheet. We've got a, quite a few attachments on this one. We have a BOA, statement of work. Here's simplified acquisition proposal request cover letter. So that'll be interesting. And then more questions and answers. Uh, Yvette is in contracting on this one. And again, this is facility management escort support, which we can make guesses about what this is, but we cannot make assumptions. All right, Just making sure. So I'm going to dive into this. I'm trying to find the solicitation first. It's unclear to me what is the main solicitation. So we'll take a look at this cover letter. Supplied acquisition proposal request. So they are just telling you up front, this is going to be beneath the SAT is my interpretation. They don't usually give you a whole letter telling you this. There will not be a site visit. There's applicable wage determinations for this. If there is OCI, uh, conflict of interest, you do need to identify that. Number six, following clauses will be included, which is a attachment that has clauses. So we will look at that. Nice of them to point that out. Number seven, 
Your proposal must include a cover letter stating a proposal acceptance period of at least 60 days. So your pricing, your bid must be good at for at least 60 days. Uh, if you don't put that, or if you say less than 60 days, you will de be deemed unacceptable. This gives them up to 60 days to award the contract. A lot, of, a lot of times the question is, well, Derek, how long should I wait after I respond to a bid? Could be weeks, could be days, could be, could be months. Depends on a number of things. Uh, Q&A period. These are due by August 10th, which was eight days ago, unless stated otherwise in the amendment. And the proposals are due on the 24th. And that's all we have here. So not a big deal document. Going to open up this mission, essential contractor services. Again, looking for some sort of formal solicitation. This is just PWS tasks. So meet visitors, call the security monitor center to alarm, de-alarm, or re-alarm. Escort visitors to workspaces. Remember, this is an escort contract. Observe visitors outside the, the premises. Communicate with visitors and government personnel as required. So kind of personnel, persons, multiple persons to escort back and forth, communicate. Pretty straightforward to understand. Report trespassing, provi uh, provide security management support. So helpful. Not a huge deal. I'm just, I'm not seeing an actual solicitation document here. So next I'm going to open up our pricing worksheet. See what that's going to do for us. This is one page. It is very straightforward. This appears to be a base plus four plus six months. And you guys can learn about pricing cleanse. Uh, the zeros is the base year. Anything that starts with a one is going to be option year one. Two is option year two, option year three, option year four. But then down here, they're just calling you a six month extension. This quantity is in months. So the unit cost would be for one month. And then the total amount would just be times the number of months for each cleanse. So first row would be times 10 months, then times 12. And then down here would be times six. They're telling us provide personal or personnel qualified with the appropriate security clearances. So interesting, we're, first time we're hearing security clearance. I will see if I can find more about that. And the work is to begin September 28th. This is due, keep in mind, September 24th. So my guess is the start date has a high probability of being pushed back, especially since they said, hey, your bid must be good for 60 days. Why? So they can turn it around in three days. I think it's unlikely, but you would just have to just have to see what happens. Wage determination clauses, this dude, DD254, it's gonna be related to the security. On the contract. And we see here, level of security clearance required, top secret. So for a lot of you, this is gonna uh, be a no bid. Okay, so seven minutes in, no bid. Why? Because it's top secret clearance and my company probably does not have top secret clearance. If you do not have a top secret cleared facility, you are not able to own, employ, and staff top secret cleared people. 
because you can't have people working for or at a facility that is not cleared, but then you have a, a person who's working on cleared information. It's, it, it's no longer secret then because it could be compromised. So a facility clearance first and then personnel clearance second. In some cases, the government will uh, give you an interim, meaning they will sponsor you directly and allow you to go through this process. I see that more often for secret level contracts because it's not as high of a level. I see it less for top secret level contracts. I'm not saying that they can't or won't do it, but it's just less likely. And again, if you've got other bids that are lower hanging fruit, seeing something that's TS could be a big enough reason to just, and very likely a big enough reason to no bid the contract. We see uh, security requirements a lot with intelligence contracts, IT contracts, or even other professional administrative contracts like a mail courier may require secret or top secret clearance because they're handling the mail and the information they're handling is uh, potentially extremely you know, confidential. So we just know to always look out for that and, and lesson for anytime you see a DD-254 form, they're usually talking about uh, certain levels of clearance. So I will actually go ahead and end this one for, for here because I think we learned enough from it and we spent a lot of time on other ones. So yeah, this is also going to give me an opportunity to... Uh, open up the next one. So we're going to keep plowing into this next one and then I'll, I'll come back to questions guys. And okay. Yeah. So this is for mechanical brush tree removal, kind of different. Do August 26th, small business set aside. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven attachments. We have a solicitation. We have three weight determinations. So this may be in multiple locations. We have a past experience and reference form. So they may be wanting past performance. We see a statement of work and we have to see a notice to quoters. So we will just go ahead and I see you guys asking about the master class. I will um, punch that in the chat in just a few seconds here so that you have the direct link. So you don't have to go hunting for that. So don't worry, I'll get you taken care of on that. Let's see. So we're seeing period of performance to begin September 1st and go through 2027. So, you know, another base plus four, it appears. So we see base option year one, option year two, option year three, option year four. Okay, so there's a base plus four for tree trimming. We have reason to believe there's three locations because we have three uh, wage determinations, which signifies three counties, reps and certs, Could be below the set, could be above, I'm not sure. I'm thinking it, it would 
likely be below though. And this is a total small business set aside. That's all we're getting in the solicitation. So I'm going to bounce next to this notice two quarters, and I'm hoping we're going to find more instructions in here. It's only three pages. And yes, it does look like this is an example of our instructions to offers evaluation factors removed from the solicitation and put in its own document. And again, this is for the Department of Interior, Fish, and Wildlife. Okay, so they're using a landscaping NAICS code for this. Proposals must be submitted in two separate volumes, a technical. Let's see. Technical proposals received that include pricing information will be considered non-responsive. So what are they talking about here? Let me zoom in. Let's actually, they're, they're talking about below. So really what we're looking at is price proposal and a technical proposal in, in terms of what they're asking. And in the technical proposal, they want your technical experience, specifically numbers one through 11. Things like what equipment are you gonna use? What are your methods? of mechanical control, like mowing, mulching, and, and pulling. So if you're going to be working with a sub on this, the sub would have to answer these questions for you. If you happen to be in the grounds maintenance business and you registered in SAM, then you would write to this yourself. What chemicals are you going to, going to use? Treatment restoration options. Okay, so a lot of questions specific. Contracting wants to know that you know what you're doing or your teaming approach knows what they're going to be doing so that they're they're in good hands. Any insurance, certifications, licenses required in the state of Kansas, which is the first mention that I see to the location. But if we looked at the wage terminations, we would see more specifics. Um, in order to be eligible, obviously, you got to be registered in SAM. So yeah, it's really price and technical. What do they have to say about the price? Base year and all options, we gathered that much. They want fully burdened hourly rates, which, let's see here. What did they ask us for? Did they? What did they give us? Yeah, so your quote unquote pricing cleanse for this are really in the body of the SF1449 form. Where here they did not ask for hourly rates. Okay, they did. Now they're, they're actually saying cost shall be on a cost per hour basis. So they did. So these do line up. This is why reading is fundamental, guys. And especially when we go through these so quickly, um, you can always find more by rereading. So yeah, the government recognizes that fully burdened hourly rates are subject to change for the option years. So you don't want to have what's called unbalanced pricing where your option years are way out of whack compared to the base year. And a reasonable escalation is usually expected and accepted because of things like inflation and cost of living and supply chain and things that make factors that make projects cost more over time. 
you know, year three on a contract, it's not going to cost the same as the base year. So they're just telling you that the government recognizes that. So your unit is going to be hours. Okay. And then it's going to be hourly rates. So you're actually going to have, uh, they're not giving you the number of hours. So you're going to have to estimate the number of hours. You're going to give a rate per hour. And then you're going to extend that price of your hourly rate times the number of hours. And then you would do that for your base year and then all your option years. That's how this particular formula is looking like, even though they're not totally spelling out for you. That is pretty much the only way that this would make sense. But you could always ask them questions if you wanted to. And again, contracting, we have um, Darla, Freeholds, Ballard. So you could ask the question to Darla. We know it's hourly, so you're going to probably propose the number of hours. Okay. And if you have a trouble proposing the number of hours, that's where your questions are going to come in and be super, super important. So don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're missing something to actually quote this, they may not know that. So one of the last documents we'll look at for this one, past experience, references. So experience number one, experience number two, experience number three. They're asking for basic information that would be required for past performance. Work type, contract number, if applicable. Don't forget, you can use subcontractors, uh, experience slash past performance. You can even use your personal work in another life, um, value of whatever that contract was, who the customer was, and then the reference information like an email and phone number for a reference POC. And then since this is more grounds, landscaping, they want to know the month and year that it began and ended. They are saying this is a combination of up to three contracts, which means if you don't have three, you can make the argument that you don't need three. You could arguably do one since they are saying up to three. They're not saying a minimum of three. So again, it's our notice to bidders that I guess I'll reopen that is where for this one, all of our good information is there. We also didn't mention highly encouraged to attend a pre-bid site visit for this. And that is another place where you could get those questions answered, or you would get the information needed to ask the questions formally. And then this Mike Oldham is going to be the POC for the site visit. Okay. So we'll go ahead and jump from this one. I think we did an adequate job. I'm just trying to keep a good pace here. Okay. And I think it is time to check the chat again. All right. Okay, yeah, so first things first, let me go ahead and get that link 
for the master class. Um, I don't believe it allows me to simultaneously post to LinkedIn. We are multi-streaming right now to YouTube and LinkedIn. So if you are watching from LinkedIn, and if you do not get this link, I'm about to put in the chat. So you can go to govkidmethod.com and just click free training. And that is another way to get the same link that I now just posted to the master class for anybody who is looking for some uh, additional details like what we talk about here. Hey, Monica, uh, good to see you again as well. Tanja says, how do you present your percentage to the officer um, when somebody, you, don't, you do not submit um, a percentage, you submit what they ask for. So like the examples we're looking at today, Tangent, you give them what they're asking for. So it could be in terms of most often filling out pricing cleanse, you know, like for, we just looked at hourly rates. Um, you're not giving them a percentage. You're giving them what they ask for or an Excel sheet. If you're filling that out, every bit is different. Reading is fundamental. This is very, very much the case where you have to learn to, to walk before you can run. And if submitting on bids and bidding on Sam is the equivalent of running, uh, the walking equivalent is really reading and understanding what's being asked of you. All right. All right. Hey, thank you for all you do. Absolutely. Hello. Hello. Um, and where do you also get the master class? Uh, just link that down below. Lady Code says, explain why we need to take a DOD information assurance exam to bid on a contract and what it is and how to do this. I saw this on a project in Sam. I can't explain that, Lady Code, because I'm not saying you need to take a DOD information assurance exam. Um, so I don't know that answer. If you're saying that you looked at a contract that is requiring that, it should explain as to why uh, you, you need that. It could, you know, information assurance could re relate to security. Um, but just keep in mind, there are a number of little mini like certifications that you could be asked to do if you won win the contract, especially as it re relates to security on government contracts. So just make sure that what you're reading you don't need to do just to respond to a bid. It's much more likely, and, and it could, I'm not saying it's not, I haven't seen it, but it's much more likely that what you're seeing is if you win the contract and you perform on the contract, that you would be required to do that. Again, I could totally be wrong. I don't know. I have not seen everything in the world that a contracting officer puts out there because every bid is different, but uh, those are my initial thoughts. It's not, it's not something that is regular. How much is a master class? No, it's it's totally free. Um, that's why I keep saying it's a free training. It doesn't cost anything. Where can we get uh, fully burdened hourly rates formulated or verified? You can't really get them verified unless you do something like a DCAA audit. And then they could look at your overhead rates and your GNA rates and your profit rates. Those are not really largely required except for contracts over 5 million and especially over 10 million. We play in the, the space of like 50K up to 5 million because a lot of these verifiable requirements for pricing are not required because contracting and the federal government considers these dollar values largely under 5 million. 
to be quote unquote insignificant dollar thresholds. So I don't get into that. It's not my, my, my space. And unless you're looking to do contracts over five or 10 million, it's not something that I would largely uh, worry about getting verified. Now, if you're formulated, you're talking about a formula, meaning you're talking about how to calculate this. These are just going to be your costs of doing business. Um, I always put the onus on you. Like, I can't tell you how to do your own business with pricing, especially if you don't even know what type of contracts you're going after. And so that's the thing. And this is, um, I think Chris's question a lot earlier of like, should I be specific? Should I be broad or what approach works best? In order for you to go after whatever you decide to go after, you have to be able to price it. And there is no government pricing. There's no secret formula. There's no secret code. This is why if you can't figure this out, people tell you to go and be a sub because it forces you to go through the motions. I'm the guy that says you don't have to be a sub. You can prime on contracts as a new business. You absolutely can do it. I have clients that are doing it you know, every month, but you have to know how to calculate pricing for yourself. If you don't know what your own costs are, you stand zero chance, you know, and arguably you're just not, and I'm not saying that this is you or anybody, but I'm saying if somebody cannot do this, you are not ready to be in this space. And, and arguably you're not putting in the work and effort required. If, if you cannot come up with a simple formula to calculate your costs. Okay. Now, again, we're not talking about DCAA audited rates that are going to be north of five and $10 million contracts. That's another ballpark. Um, so if that's what you're looking at, I'm not your I'm not your guy. If you're looking at, you know, very small business contracts um, up to and under 5 million, it's not something you really need to worry about. And if you do see the unicorn contract that asks for it, you don't have to bid on it, you know, if you're not comfortable. Is there an email address that I could shoot uh, an off topic question to? Um, really, you know, quite, that's why we're doing the lives. Um, I don't really respond to emails at all because I get too many. Nick, so if you have something, as you can see, we're answering questions. So this is probably your best bet. What kind of LLC your company is best to open? You have to figure that out for yourself. There is no company that is best to open. All that matters is what's best for you. And I cannot help you determine that. The one thing, the only thing that I will say is make sure whatever you're choosing is being bought on SAM. So spend an uncomfortable amount of time on SAM, go through a lot of different things until you can say, I'm seeing a lot of this. Therefore, I have good reason to believe if I have a, if I build a business off of this, I will have something that's viable. Okay. Don't try and figure this stuff out first and then go to SAM. And then it's not even there. Okay. You can waste a lot of time doing that. So work backwards from what the government is buying. That is my, my advice. If you work for a company as a contractor, and worked with their government-based client, can this be considered as your past performance? Yes, yes. So that's considered personal past performance uh, lady code. Um, any work that you've done, even if it's personal, and then you have your own business, or if you've left or you're doing it simultaneously, this is called personal past performance, which you are able to use. You will be considered what's called key personnel, and you are allowed to use uh, predecessor company and key personnel uh, past performance on contracts that you're bidding on under a new entity, even if the new entity in Sam did not, you know, uh, provide that or have that direct experience. Key personnel or predecessor companies can bring that. 
And again, that is another thing that I cover in the masterclass in detail. And I give you the FAR clauses and the links so you don't just have to take my word for it. Hey, what's up, Goldpipe? Uh, past performance is viewed as relevant if you're performing as a prime or sub, not as an employee. Yeah, it's if you were once Goldpipe, for my experience, um, if you were an employee on a contract and you are now the owner of a company, you absolutely can bring that that uh, experience as relevant past performance. Definitely, definitely. Okay, um, let's keep chugging along here. And we don't have a whole lot of time left. I'm thinking we might just do one more for today, depending on how long it goes. All right, so database developer for database project. Good stuff. <clears throat> All right, due September 2nd, small business set aside. Straight up, we can see this is a base plus four. We're looking for monthly pricing. Again, this is database developer. Evaluation. Please see the attached RFQ terms. So we'll see what the valuation is for this. Giving you some additional terms. Be registered in SAM. No site visit. Again, this is a RFQ. Attachments, we have one, two, three, four. Terms and conditions, we have statement of work, we have wage termination, and then we have past performance questionnaire as well. Again, not seeing a true solicitation, but this is a RFQ, so it's not uncommon. So I suppose we will start and see what they stuck in our statement of work here. Seven pages, scope, base plus four, work beginning September 15th. They're giving us specific tasks to improve and enhance the web interface. So web interface. Number two, develop, implement, and customize web applications. Number three, ensure and maintain smooth, reliable, and secure operation of the servers. Number four, respond to security incidents that, uh, that take place. And number five, be physically available on site during normal working hours for server management, maintenance, and technical support. Pretty straightforward, actually. Not too crazy. I like it. We do have some deliverables. You are going to be coordinating with government on site. Unfortunately, we're not getting any sort of because we do not have proposal and structures, instructions and evaluations. I was hoping they might stick that in our SOW. Do not see it. It's strictly just statement of work stuff. Wage determination is not going to be helpful. Terms and conditions. Let's see if maybe they stuck it in there. This is 20 pages. Maybe, maybe they did. 
maybe not. Okay, yes, they did. So instruction offers, see, see guys, like I'm not crazy. They stick things, you know, sometimes like wherever they want. So, and they, every, every single flipping bit is different. It's why you need to read search. We, we want to hunt. Okay. We don't want to read page by page, line by line. We look for something very specific. That's why I'm always going through these different attachments quickly. That's why I'm scrolling because it's a skill to hunt and find what you're looking for and know what you're looking for. That's what I'm trying to teach you to do. So quotes must be prepared in accordance with instructions, yada, yada. First, uh, first things first, they want a first page cover page on company letterhead must state solicitation number, name, address, uh, UEI number, a statement, Specifying agreement to terms, names, titles, telephone numbers for those who are authorized to negotiate the contract. That's number one. Number two, all offers are submitted electronically. Number three, agreed to hold your prices in this case, 90 days. So the last one or a few back was uh, 60 days. Now we're 90 days. So for submission, please send a copy of your complete quote to the purchasing agent, Spencer Hamilton. Quote specifications shall be some of the stuff we've already uh, talked about. Also, reps and certs. Now they're talking about technical proposals shall address the following elements. And that's gonna be A and B. So your technical proposal, so now we're kind of finding it. Technical proposal, A, describe your company's capability your technical and management approach. So technical approach, management approach to meet the requirements of the statement of work. So if you're putting your proposal together, right? You're gonna have your cover page, uh, maybe a cover a cover letter, table of contents if you want, you may not have to, but then in addition, um, you're gonna have technical proposal. And underneath that, you're gonna have your technical approach and then management approach. And then you're also going to describe the company's knowledge with providing scientific database developer services within the last five years, which sounds a little to us like past performance, right? But it's not because down here they have PPQs. So they want you to, in this technical approach, include a scope of the work you did in the past, the dollar value, the periods, the locations, and then POC information. And then in addition to that, they want you to fill out these PPQs or the PPQ, which is attached separately, which is going to be almost exactly the same thing. The contractor shall complete this form and then forward it to the client and then have the client send it directly to contracting. So this is important. Learning point for you guys to listen up when it comes to PPQs, past performance questionnaires. You don't have your reference give it back to you and you submit it with your proposal. No, unless they tell you you can do that. Sometimes they will. But typically you have your client, you know, do their thing and then send that directly to contracting. Otherwise, arguably you're filling out your own report card. Conflict of interest. 
So if it comes from you, it's not going to probably be counted. This gets really messy. And I, I know contracting does not have a better way to do this, but man, like contracting misses a lot of emails. And now you're, when you do this, you open up. So this is why it's important that your, your, your references, they do very obvious and bold uh, email subject line. So that when the contracting officer receives this email, they know this is for contract solicitation number, such and such past performance questionnaire for company, you know, blank, you know, you, you want that information to be obvious and bold. But anyways, this is what they would fill out. So you as, as the company, you can fill this out the first page, and then you can have your client fill out the second page. So pretty straightforward stuff. Um, let me get back on track here. All right. So they did stick it in the terms and conditions. We reviewed the statement of work and the past performance questionnaire. So I think we will go ahead and, and, and again, as just as a reminder, very straightforward pricing table and a solid contract for a base plus four. So we'll go ahead and call that for the, the bids for today. We did not get to that last one. Apologies. I'll check the chat one more time and we will call it a day. Make sure, yeah, there's, okay. I just want to make sure I'm up to the latest. Nick says, uh, there's another YouTube channel. He talks about winning the work he subs out. That is over the amounts that you've outlined in previous videos. I get a lot of questions about this and I'm, I don't ever weigh in on it because if you have questions about this individual, um, ask them, you know? So if they're not making this clear to you how they're doing it, um, that's, like that's their problem, right? I'm not going to try to weigh in what somebody else is saying because I don't want to create um, back and forth stuff on YouTube. But I can just tell you that everything I talk about is cited in the FAR and the FAR is all that that matters and should matter to you. Again, the federal acquisition regulation is what binds all of us. So that is, um, again, that's why in the master class, it's like, I say this, here's the reg. I say that, here's the regulation, Okay. Do subs need a cage code? They do not, but I do see that they're being requested sometimes to have a unique entity ID number, which doesn't take very long, which would be the equivalent of in the old days, pre-April 22 of having that DUNS number, but a full-blown SAM registration with the cage code is, is not, as um, as Goldpipe is saying as well. Yep. The, the cage code is for whoever the prime is, who's going to have the contract directly with the government. Subs do not have any contract obligation to the government, they have a, an obligation to um, the prime, which would just be a commercial-based contract. So my question or scenario has to do with uh, hygiene kits. I found a supplier and if I get a quote and the gov accepts my bid, I purchase these kits from Granger, sent to the, the place, it would be for several months. It would be supplying kits. That would be almost a million. Cool. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm assuming that you're also still referring to the, the middleman type thing. Um, when it comes to products, 
there's something called the non-manufacturer rule that will sometimes, uh, because limitations on subcontracting, you know, it's, you know, it's 50% for services, 15, 1.5% for construction. And then it's also 50% for um, like manufactured goods and products, but there's something called the non-manufacturer's rule that will sometimes allow the contracting officer to exclude that, which is one way, and this is just a regulation, that sometimes uh, procurements uh, and product buys, drop shipping can be sometimes uh, not bound by that. So you can check out the non-manufacturer's rule. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly where you're going with that. <clears throat> Uh, it seems a lot of people want to be a middleman, middleman to get the money, but not do the work. Be careful with path through schemes. This is illegal, but off doing um, arbitra arbitration on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, for sure, Chris. Definitely, definitely. Got to be careful. Um, this is why I never talk about middlemaning without talking about exactly what you're referencing. Um, and I think this is the comment that was alluded to a few minutes ago. Unfortunately, there are voices out there. And again, I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I just know there are voices out there that talk about doing this, but then they leave out. Oh, by the way, there's you could be doing it totally illegally. So I think it's reckless to tell people about middlemanning or hang it out there as something that's, oh, it's so easy to do, right? Because you give people the wrong idea, which is why you see me have rant videos on my channel. Because um, I, I lean into being safe rather than get rich quick or, or whatever, right? I care more about giving you guys what you not what you need more necessarily than what you want. Um, some people just want to cash in on clickbaity type tactics. And again, I'm not talking about anybody in, in particular, but I just try to keep it real with you. And if something smells fishy, you know, it, it, it probably is. Yeah, Goldpipe says middlemaning is totally legal. 100%. You just need to know when and where it's appropriate. 100%. And Freddie says, where in the FAR regulations for supplier regs? For example, can we just partner with Best Buy, Petco, and get quote to bid the government? Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, right? Like, it's not even all about the regs, Freddie. It also has to do with the procurement. Where limitations on subcontracting come in because if it's under the sat you don't even need to ask this question you know if it's a 100k contract do whatever you want you know go to best buy but if it's over you need to learn so that's one of the contexts that are that are important and this is why nobody's talking about this everybody gets confused um and, and sometimes it's frustrating and it's like okay guys go have a real business you know and then then grow into this because a lot of you struggle with this when you don't have a business and then you come in and you just want to flip items, but then you don't want to learn the way to do it. Well, then you're risking doing it the wrong way. And you have a lot of questions and challenges that you wouldn't have if you already have a business in place. Because there's really, really two groups of people that are new federal contractors, right? They're existing businesses and there's brand new businesses. Okay. We take an existing business of 10 years, brand new registered in SAM. Or we take a brand new, you know, say LLC that was set up last month, and then it's newly registered in SAM. So you're all at the same starting point, 
but you come from different walks of life. And those who have that brand new LLC, you don't have any business. In some cases, you don't even know what you're doing. In some cases, in being you're, you're not going to be ready, right? If you can't figure out on how to formulate pricing and figure out how to do anything that you, you don't have anything to offer. You're really just expecting to give contracts instead of expecting to give to give value. Others who are able to figure this stuff out are able to understand these things, the regulations, the approaches that matter. I try to be a voice and advocate for that because I, I am a guy that says uh, you don't have to be a sub first. You can prime, but there's just a way you have to do it. There's a way you have to do it and you have to commit to learning it. I have plenty of videos that show you. I have the masterclass. It's totally free. I have a lot of free resources that show you how to do this, but you, you have to commit. Um, and then when you start listening to different things and you check out, you just spin in a circle and you kind of get screw yourself, to be honest. For sure. All right, guys. So a lot of great questions, a lot of great uh, engagement today. As always, um, if you enjoyed this, smash the like button. If you're looking for additional support beyond live uh, trainings, um, I do have two resources that I currently offer. I think they're both amazing for new federal contractors. The first is our, our bidding bundle, which is uh, basically a combination of resources like proposal templates, um, of course, all your CAPE statements, and then also newly added is our step-by-step -step how to bid in 30 days or less on SAM course uh, that you can go through that ties how to use all these resources together. Um, that is on the website. And then also secondly, if you're wanting additional support, additional handholding, um, I do coaching twice a week via Zoom with a small group of clients. And if you're looking for uh, more support like that, you're, you're able and you're wanting to make an investment, you know that's what you need. You want me helping you with your you know, actually going through your bids and looking at your proposals before you send it, all that good stuff. It's just a fraction of what we do in the coaching. And you can find all that um, just on the homepage of my website, govkidmethod.com. If you're wanting additional support, otherwise we'll keep doing these uh, lives hopefully. And you can keep getting in, you know, some information this way to see if you're a good fit, to see if you're in the right place and to get some traction under your feet guys. So um, yeah, looks like you guys got some great engagement going on. Um, in the chat, which is awesome. Feel free to connect offline because once the uh, once the live is over, uh, probably won't be able to talk. Um, I guess lastly, I'll just share. Uh, I'm a prior CEO and I gotta say, I think Derek's a very knowledgeable person, the best on YouTube for the subject with practical information for sure. Hey, I appreciate that, my man. Thank you, Gold Pipe. Um, just basically try to be the voice for um, what people need rather than what they want. So we'll call it on that note, guys. Again, if you're new here, consider subscribing and we will see you on the next one, which I think will probably be next Monday, probably done for this week. So have a great rest of the week, great weekend, uh, and I will catch you next time. Take care. Thanks, everybody.